0: Back on Wednesday, December 20th, 1978, the Saints of Lemoyne met for the first time in this building, in this section here, not the new section. So just a little fact of history and how the Lord has blessed and watched over this work, and we pray for the future, that we never depart from the gospel. We've said it how many times? If we ever depart from the gospel, may the Lord close the doors. The church is here for that reason, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're looking at the beautiful, terrible cross. Do you know what the most important thing about you is? What the most critical thing? What thought occupies your mind that's more important than any other? More important than your name? More important than your family? More important than what you have? The most important thought that can come between those two ears. Of all the things we occupy the mind with, of all the things we focus upon, We get so hung up on the here and now, don't we? The latest fad, the latest thing going on out there. Remember that new gizmo you couldn't wait to get, and you finally got it, and so excited about it, and after a few weeks it's out in the garage, and a few weeks later it's in the trash pile out in front? Interesting how human heart works, isn't it? More important than your name, more important than your desires, your wants, who you are or what you have, more important than any of those things, of all the things the world focuses on, all the things they chase after, all the things they get caught up in, you see, it's your soul. It's your person. It's the real you and you, when you die, that one that goes on, that spirit that goes on forever and ever and ever. Uh, let's listen to how John put it. This is in 528 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Yes, there is a resurrection for all. One goes one way and one goes the other way. No matter how large your bank account is, no matter how beautiful your home is, no matter how popular you are, no matter how new your car is, no matter how good your health is doing, no matter all of these things, when we die, our graves will be all the same size. And we're really going to be there in just a few moments from now, if the truth be known. Arguably, we come to one of the toughest, hardest passages in Roman. You get a hold of this one, and you get your compass set for why you're here and where you're going and what this is all about. Amen. Nothing is more significant. Nothing is more substantial. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more critical than this text we have before. So if you're not there yet, please turn to Romans chapter 5. And you should have the in the bulletin is the outline. I'm going to encourage you to follow along with that. Three questions we must ask to determine our ultimate destiny. And I know you're not really concerned about my opinions, nor am I yours. I'm concerned about one thing, right? What has God clearly said in his word? The only book he's ever written, without error, may we understand it? So the first question we have before us here, what is the ultimate problem? We all got problems, right? Anybody's life problem-free for the last 10 years? No problems? (laughs) We all got problems, but this is the critical one. How many even think about this ultimate problem we all have? Romans chapter 5, I trust you're there, 6, verse 6. I'd like you to read along with me. That way, no matter what the preacher says, you can see what the Lord says, okay? Listen carefully. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Can I ask you a personal question? What can you do for your salvation? What can you do to get to heaven? What great deed, great work, great gift you can give, what can we do? Did you notice that word in verse 6 there? When you are still without what? Strength. We think we have strength to do something for God. It's an interesting phrase. Before I was saved, I thought I had a lot of strength. But the Bible says the opposite. Listen to what Isaiah says in 1.5. The whole heart faints. Matthew 26.41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even Paul said it like this in Second Corinthians 12.9. I will rather boast in my infirmities... And even that great prophet Isaiah from chapter 40, verse 30, said, Even though you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. And Isaiah in 6 5, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. Man has a problem. I have a problem. You have a problem. In fact, we all have problems. But we have one problem that's critical. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 9. We always want to deal with the bad news first before we get to the good news, right? Here's the bad news. We all think we're... I thought I was pretty good growing up, right? Did you think that? I, I think most of us have, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. See that? Jews thought they were pretty good, <laughs> Certainly better than those Gentiles. Guess what? They're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Look at what it says in verse 10. It's written. Uh, where's it written? Well, if you've got a good footnote there, you know where it's written. But I'll suggest it's written from Psalm 14. So it's basically a parallel quote from Psalm 14. Look how it starts here. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous. And just in case we didn't catch it, what's it say? No, not one. Wow. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God, not the true and living God, not naturally speaking. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, and their tongues with their tongues they have practised deceit. Poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood destruction, misery in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ouch. Anybody need a bath? A spiritual bath? We all need one. That's our condition, brethren. The Jew is under obligation to the written law. The Gentile is under obligation to his conscience, which the law is written in his conscience. We all fall short. The only one the only hope, the only place we can go is one place—to the cross, to our Lord Jesus Christ. The perfect one dies for the imperfect. Very interesting. In the winter of 1976, John Jordan, together with three of his friends, decided to photograph Niagara Falls. You ever been there? Marvelous places, it what God has made. They went to Goat Island to enjoy some of the ice and beauty there, and they were climbing all over things and. Uh, One of them climbed up on the drifts, and the drift was covering the fence railing to protect him from falling in, and he climbed over that and uh, soon fell into the ice along the shore and was about 200 feet upstream. That shore picked him up in those ice debris and took him right down to the edge of the falls. 200 feet upstream from the falls he is, and two scrambled back, but Jordan was swept down to within 15 feet of the brink of the Horseshoe Falls. Then somehow he was able to grasp and cling to a chunk of ice. Finally, patrolman James McNeil was able to rescue him. Brethren, if you get a picture of that scene, that's you. That's me. That's where we stand. Each person on planet Earth, we're in peril. One moment away from death, who knows how it can come. The strangest ways, the youngest die even. And yet, there's one to rescue us. There's only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Jesus did... At the right time, at the perfect time, in the nick of time, he came to rescue us. Even that coin in your pocket goes back to that date. That's how significant it is. Amazing what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. How much strength do we have? Listen now, how Romans 5, 6 puts it. It says what? We're without strength. That's what? That's zip. That's zero. That's nada. It's nicks, it's none, it's kaputs. In other words, no absolute strength, no kind of strength, no little strength. Any. There's nothing you can do to gain any merit with God. And yet, I dare say you, I know I did from the beginning. thought, well, if there really is a God, I said, I'll do my best and he'll take care of me. That's how pagan I was. The Roman Romans says in 124, in fact, let's go over there. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. I want you to see this with your own eyes. We already looked at one scenario here of the human heart. This is our record, brethren. We're all bankrupt. Look at this. 124 of Romans. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to a vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting we could go on. The human heart. We all need a Savior. Most of us think we're pretty good, right? The sad truth, what? We're pretty bad from what we just read, right? Remember the disciples, they asked Jesus, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments, all the 613 commands we have in the Bible, which one of those is the chief one, the number one, the one at the top? Well, listen to what our Lord Jesus Christ he says something about this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, right? And great commandment, he went on to say. Do you really have a supreme love for God? Do, do I? Do we really love the Lord? Does our life show it? Thoughts, words, deeds, motivation, why do I do what I really do? Why did I really give that person a gift? What's that all about? You ever see a couple in love? They, they, uh, one writes a note to the other, and as soon as that note comes, what do they do? They read it, right? Can't wait to get it, right? If I really love the Lord, I do what? He wrote you 66 letters, 66 of them. I would pull it down and read them, right? If I, if I love him, all of us really have time to do the things we really want to do. In fact, look at the last 24 hours of your life, the last seven days of your life. Look at that. Last 30 days. How we choose to spend our time is indicative of what's in our heart and what we love and what we're just fond of. I'm writing a letter, a chapter each day, by the things that I do and the things that I say. Men, read what I write, distorted or true. What is the gospel according to you? It's all written out, isn't it? Life is short, brethren. Soon will pass. Only what's done for, Christ, will last. Note those last words there, back in chapter 5, and he says there in verse 6, notice what he says there. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Can we say it like this? At the right time, at the perfect time, Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, Ephesians 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. I ask you, if you never heard of Christ, if you never heard that name before, where would you be today? Where would I be today? Can you imagine the mess we would probably find ourselves in? At the right time, at the perfect time. Peter says it like this. This is in 1 Peter five six. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in do time. We humble ourselves. Yes, there's things that happen we don't like, but we put God first and follow in His steps. So here we see it the ultimate problem. All are under sin. All are worse sinners than they can imagine. It's one of the problems. We don't even know it. Many don't know it. But here's the second. Second answer to the solution what's the ultimate salvation? Romans chapter 5, verse 7. It's right here. 5 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Can you imagine giving your life for another? Your demise so they might win? We've seen it in history. People do that for one another at times. It's an amazing thing. Never forget my dad up here at the Raisin River and by Monroe, and he's up there with his friends, teenager, and someone's drowning in the river, and that Raisin River can flow pretty fast, and they were flowing up. He jumps in, swims out to get him, he's a powerful swimmer, brought him back. (laughs) He risked his life to save theirs. But our Lord has done far more than that, hasn't he? This is the way, right here. Jesus came, and this is why he came. He was born to die on the cross. Our first parents, remember them, Adam and Eve, they were told what? One would come and bruise the head of the serpent and he would die, beaten. In Revelation 13, 8, it says it like this. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There's a time, you know, when there was no space, there was no material, there were no atoms. And in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God spoke. And here it is, the lamb slain, already in God's plan. Before one atom, before space, before time began, the lamb is slain in the plan and program of God. Wow. Does that tell you anything about his love? Does that tell you anything about how you should live for him? Get your mind around this. All in the plan of God. Do you understand God's love for you? Do you understand that? Before space, before time, he had a plan for you. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You ever have a bad day? I think we've all had bad days, right? I like Colossians 3, two. That's a command for you and me. He says it like this. Set your mind on the things above, and notice the negative here, and not on the things that are on the earth. You ever notice when you're having a bad day, when I'm having a bad day, where our minds are focused? Now, is that a wish for God? Is He just asking us when it's convenient? No, well, that's a command. Set your mind, that's an order. Set your mind on the things above. If you really, if I really, if we put our minds on the things above, yes, bad things happen to good people. I understand that. But when it happens, if I have the focus right, what can I do? Well, this is Father filtered, number one. He wants me more like his son. Obviously, I'm not there. So he brings these this heavenly sandpaper into my life to hone me, to, to shave me down, to make me more like his son. And if you get to the hold of the cross, what he's done for me, I ask you this question truthfully. How can you have a bad day? How can we? We all know we're going, just a matter of when. But how can we have a bad day? You see, it's all of God. 2,000 years ago, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, suspended between heaven and earth, he picks up all our sins. Can you imagine this? There he's suspended on the cross between heaven and earth, all the lies, all the blasphemies, all those ugly things I've done that I can't even talk about with others, and there they're on his breast. This holy one, this infant one, born in a manger, fully human, fully God, suspended between heaven and earth, and God the Father looks down on his son, and what does he do to him? bludgeons him, rains his wrath down on him. He executes him, but Christ never committed any sin. So who's on that cross? That's you. That's you on that. That's me. We're on that cross. That's our representative. That's our vicar. It's a vicarious atonement. He stands in our place. What we deserve for eternity, there he is, dying for the likes of us. He was forsaken so you and I would not be forsaken. He was killed. He was adjudicated. He was judged. He was sentenced with all our blasphemies upon him. The perfect holy creator, the redeemer, now dies the death of death so you and I will never taste of death. By rights right now, you and I should be where? In hellfire. That's where we should be. You having a bad day? Just get a hold of that. Put that one in in perspective. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of all the words in the Bible, that's one that just kind of grips me. I could stay up all night just contemplating that one. Sometimes you ever can't sleep at night, that one comes to my mind, I just wrestle with it. Why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, though, so we wouldn't be. You ever wonder why Jesus gave no reply to the bogus charges? He didn't answer him. Remember when they blindfold him? Started to hit. Can you imagine? He's so, everything they have, they start to pull on his face. And what's he respond? He could have read off their social security number, right? He could have told him their name, the date, the birth, what, what they did yesterday, what they're gonna to do tomorrow. He could tell them that. Right. What did he say though? He said what? Nothing. Why did he say nothing? He's the perfect one. He's the holy one. But he's got to get to a cross because he loves you so much. So he obeys the Father's will. He picks up all our sins, all our lies, all our foul language, all our immorality, all our blasphemies, all our wicked, independent living, and the Father judges the Son as if it was us. You ever wonder why Jesus did all this? He's got one mission, right? One goal, one objective. Jesus knows he has to get to that cross to please his father. He was born to die. He was born to receive his father's wrath, even though he deserves none. No wrath. You and I know we're going to die, but we don't know when, and we don't know how. Jesus knows when he's going to die. He knows how he's going to die, and he knows why he's going to die. The, li- the one who has eternal life in him goes for the likes of us to Calvary. There is nothing in any of us to make us worthy. Nothing. There's not, not some good in us that causes God's favor upon us. We bring nothing to our salvation. It, it's all of him. He, he gets all the glory. Even the best things we do, this side of heaven, is mingle with ulterior motives, with a heart that's not quite pure. Therefore, the Lord gets 100% of the glory. See, it's all of him. It's nothing to me. It's all of him. Do you see what Romans 5.8 is really saying here? Look at that. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's two forces here. There's two parties going on. You catch them right here? We do the sinning part. The Lord Jesus Christ does the saving part. It's all of him. None of us deserves heaven. None of us deserves salvation. None of us deserves any good from God. We all deserve nothing but hellfire. We've turned our back on him. We've done it our way. We've committed crimes against him. By God's justice, that is what we deserve. In Romans 5, verse 9, look at it here in the text, Romans 5, 9. Much more than, 5, 9, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You may be a faithful Christian, You may be able to walk a close walk with the Lord Jesus. But don't get the idea that you can do one little thing for your salvation. It takes a perfect man with a perfect record that is flawless from start to finish. It's all of him. It's nothing of us. He gets all the glory. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we've asked one question here. What is the ultimate problem? We've asked the second question. What is the ultimate salvation? Finally, we come to the last. What is the ultimate life? The ultimate life. Romans 5.10. What's it say? Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We're enemies. Look at this. But he reconciles us. Knocks down the barriers. Brings us into the family. Much more. Oh, I love that a fortiori argument, that you think this is great, then much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. All of us have been enemies of God. Until he brings us alive, that's that's our state. If you don't believe that, then let me suggest you're still an enemy of God because you haven't seen the truth. See, when you're born again, all of a sudden it all comes into focus then, at least to a good degree, and you realize where you were, what you are now, and who did it all at the cross. But in spite of us, God loves us. He sent his son to die for us, Romans 6, 23. Remember that? The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God, it's a gift. It's a gift of God as eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some people think they can do something for their salvation. If I were to give you a car and you were to give me a $10 bill back, would that be a gift? Well, it's an awful cheap gift back to me, but <laughs> it's not technically. No, that's a, you did something. No, no. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. Now, you can live a life out of gratitude by doing the best you can, walking in Christ's steps. That's true. But salvation is a free gift. There's a translator by the name of Tyndale. Know that name? In his Bible, this word at the end here, verse 11, that's uh, receive the reconciliation, that's the word atonement. Fascinating subject here, atonement. Uh, Let's um, go to Tyndale. Protestant reformer, Bible translator. In 1525, he was the first to translate the New Testament to English. Can you imagine speaking English and not having a, a Bible? Not having a Bible in your own language? That's what the state of affairs back then. No Bible in English, of course, as we know. It was illegal to have a Bible in your own language. In fact, uh, Luther said he was 21 years old before he saw his first Bible. You know where he saw it was? It was in the pulpit. It was chained to the pulpit. It wasn't even a language you could understand. They kept it in Latin, to hide it from the people. In 1522, Tyndale began translating the Bible into English. It was illegal to do that. Again, they wanted to keep it hidden in the Latin where only the priest would know it. Only the priest could have the Bible. They said the average person would misunderstand it, so it was up to them to feed you what was the truth, they said, so you wouldn't be led astray. The Roman Catholic Church had a forbidden book list—books that were against them. You, you, were not to read. And they, in fact, that continued up until the '60s, 1960s, <laughs> and all these books. And they found out where well, they finally did away with it. You know why? People, any book that would go on, there some of the Catholics would run out and buy that book and see what it said. So uh, they did away with that book. But that was back for centuries, and the book that was always on it was what book? The Bible. You listen to them. No, no. You listen to God. You read your own Bible. See what? But back then, they didn't have an English Bible, you see. So in 1525, Tyndale printed the Bible in English. Why did he do it? Why did he risk his life? Listen to what he says. This is his own words. Cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scripture than the Pope himself. Okay. Wow. Finally get your own Bible. Can you imagine that? In your own language. Can you imagine that? Of course, it took about a year back then, manuscript it was, written by hand, so it cost about a year's salary. You know what you make in a year? Can you imagine paying that for one book? That was the going rate in the beginning back then in those times. He had to make up a number of words, of course. English was considered a sub-language, unfit for the Bible, a guttural language. So Tyndale made up a number of words, such words as the following. Jehovah... Passover, atonement, scapegoat, mercy seat, fisherman, castaway, busybody, on and on he went. Can you imagine not having those words and a whole host of others in the English language? Awful crude language. You, you really couldn't express yourself not like we can today. Tyndale, Tyndale's translation was considered in England by the Roman Catholic Church sacrilege. It was banned. Copies were burned. The Roman Catholic Church uh, says you... Um, you were saved by the sacraments, such as baptism and so forth, and they didn't want you to read the Bible. But the Bible says we're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. But the only reason you know that is why? Because you've read it, because you have the Bible in your language. What did that cost Tyndale? How much was the payment for him translating the Bible into English? In October 6, 1536, William Tyndale was strangled to death and his body burned at the stake for translating the Word of God into the natural English language." He knew what he was up against. He knew where it would probably lead him, but look what that's given us, that first seed. Let's remember him, brethren. When you open that Bible, how can I let that Bible stay closed and have a day or two go by? How can I do that? Knowing the cost, knowing what's in it, we can't. We can't. Tyndale was defrocked by the church in an elaborate public ceremony, turned over to the civil authorities. And there he was strangled to death. His last words, Lord, open the king's eyes. Look at that. Lord, open the king of England's eyes. I don't know if somebody's putting me to death on a pole and strangled to death. Um, I'm not sure what words would come out of my mouth. Does that tell you anything about Tyndale? It's love for the Lord and love for the people to get that word into their mouth, into their heart, into their walk. Brethren, do you know what you have? I'm going to suggest you don't know what you have. Not if you don't pick up the Bible. Not if you don't read it. We're to hide God's word in our heart. We're to cherish his words. Do you love the word? Do you really love it? Your actions show it. By the way, we all have time to do the things we really want to do, don't we? We really do. Romans 5.11. Look what it says here. Here's the last word. Notice what it says. In my Bible, it says the word reconciliation, the last word, but Tyndale made up a word. He called it, what? The word atonement. What does atonement mean? Break it down for me. What, what can you do with this word atonement? Well, first of all, it's in three syllables, right? Break down the three syllables. What is it? At one-ment. What's atonement do? What does Christ's death at the cross do? Brings us warring sinners had to clenched fist against God into peace and harmony. When God takes your heart of stone and you hear the word of God, he has a way of taking your heart and, and, and make it one in love with the Savior above. The beauty, the power of God's word with God's spirit. And that's what it does. It changes you. It changes me. It changes anyone who comes with a humble heart to the Lord above at one month. By its derivation, this word describes setting at one or reconciliation of two parties who have been estranged. at one month. Coming together. Now there's peace. Now there's harmony. Now there's love. That's what the cross does. There's a time in your life and my life I had no love for God, not the true God. But thanks to the atonement. The at one month. A hundred years from now, all in this room will be gone. We'll all be dead. But your soul goes on forever. We either go up or we go down. Every one of us on planet Earth. Some of you will go to heaven. Some, I fear, will go to the lake of fire. But if one is born again, then it's automatic. Right. It's not just saying it. No, no. It's doing it in the heart. It's having a heart relationship of repenting and trusting Christ. Uh, look at this. This is in Mark 9:44, 44, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Ouch! Interesting, Mark repeats that verse. Remember how many times he repeated it? Three times in 44, 46, 48. Why does he have to say it three times? You ever notice parents, they say one thing and then they have to do what? Repeat it. And if they're dead serious about it, they three times it. Three times. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You ever think about that? Two executioners all get for not coming to Christ, not cleansing themselves of the sin. The wages of sin is death. Here's the death we're talking about. Two executioners. First of all, a worm is what? Well, we know what fire is, right? You ever been burned? You ever been burned badly? That's something you don't forget. The flames of fire, a bad burn, we don't forget that. Can you imagine that going on forever and ever? And not just that, there's an internal executioner. There's something inside. A worm that constantly gnaws and eats. Two executioners. Mark's trying to tell us in spiritual terms, Look out. This is one place you never want to go or think about. The terrible pain that goes on and on. Have you heard the good news? Have you responded to the good news? Ah, does your life show the good news at work in your heart? Our hearts are so deceptive, aren't they? We can say we're born again. We can say we know Christ. But the proof comes when our life, when I love the Word, when I read the Word, when I become part of His church, when I'm baptized, when I'm immersed in water, and then when I... Use my gifts in the local New Testament church. Those are all good evidences that I'm alive in Christ. Does your life show it? Are you alive in him? Come. Come before it's too late. Come to our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll end with this. In World War II, Ernest Gordon was a British captive in the Japanese prison camp by the River Kauai in Burma, where prisoners were forced to build the Railroad of Death. Perhaps some of you have heard about this. They were tortured, they were starved, they were worked to the point of exhaustion. Nearly 16,000 died. Gordon, survivor of the horror, wrote a book about it. What was the name of that book? Through the Valley of the Kauai. came out in 1962. In fact, there was a movie made. Rather well done movie on this. He describes on one occasion as a workday was coming to an end, the tools were counted and there was one shovel missing. They couldn't find it. A guard began to rant and rave, demanding, Who stole the shovel? The guard worked himself in such a paranoid fury, he cocked his rifle, pointed at the man, and said, Who stole the shovel? You don't step forward, I'm going to kill you all. And he had an army of men to take care of the rest. And he cocked his rifle. And at that moment, one man stepped forward and standing at attention said, I stole that rifle or that shovel. (laughs) I did it. The Japanese guard came over to him and clubbed him to death in front of all the men. And as they were carrying his body away, they recounted the shovels. And guess what? There was not one missing. He stepped forward. To protect his man, he volunteers his life for their life. Now that fails short, falls short of what our Lord has done for us. Because we have a perfect record of sin, of rebellion, of blackness. And what does he do? He comes down to this earth, gets on that cross, and there takes all our rebellion, all our sin, and the Father judges the Son in our place. And by faith alone and Christ alone, we have life forever. And for you to walk away from that, not to do anything with that, not to receive Christ, I'm going to say, I don't know if I've ever said this, but I believe that's one of the worst sins you can commit. To look a gift horse in the mouth, eternal life, and know I'm going to live my life on my terms, woe be to you. Come now, come before it's too late, come to Christ. Let us pray. Father, this is not an easy text. We thank you, Father, for the one who came, the one who stood in our place, the one who died the death of deaths, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us of our thoughts that are so unbecoming, so ungodly at times. Father, forgive us of our actions. They're not Christ-like at times. Father, forgive us of our thinking. Lord, we thank you for those last words of Christ. It it is finished. It is done. Christ has conquered. And all we can do is accept the free gift and then live for your glory. Help us. We pray for our little ones here, Father. We pray for the older ones. We're here, Father, and then we're gone. May we count the cost. We ask it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.